Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Tuesday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. Douglas Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. We're talking draft. Why not look ahead? People love mock drafts. And Matt Miller from Bleacher Report, who's one of the best mock draft guys out there, uh, dropped a three-round mock draft. And when you drop the three-rounder, you get more respect because any knucklehead can throw together the top 32 picks. But there are six Buckeyes in his three-round draft, and that's what Stephen and Nathan and I are going to cover tonight. Um, you know, when stuff happens, we'll have emergency podcasts and if there's news and whatever, but this is your Tuesday podcast for now. So let's just dive right into this. And we'll start off with from the back. Again, there's six guys who made the draft, six Buckeyes. The sixth of them, actually, let's start with this. Let's talk, with the, talk about the guys who did not make it, who were not in his three-round mock draft and try to think about maybe why they weren't there. Trey Sermon, the running back, transferred from Oklahoma, who has never played a snap as a Buckeye. He wasn't there. Thayer Munford, left tackle, did not make the first three rounds. Baron Browning at linebacker, did not make it. He's a senior. Tyreek Smith, potential early entry guy at defensive end, did not make it. And the most interesting absence, Josh Myers, the center, one of the better centers in the country, has eligibility remaining, although all these guys do because this, this year won't count for anybody. Stephen, were you surprised that Josh Myers was not in Matt Miller's three-round mock draft? 100%. One, obviously, Wyatt Davis is who he is. He's either the number one or number two guard in the country. But a lot of what made J.K. Dobbins so good is also having Josh Myers as your center. And we've been talking about the Myers-Davis highway this entire offseason. And they're kind of hand-in-hand. I understand the talent level that Wyatt Davis is is what he is, but they're hand-in-hand in what they were going to mean to this running game for Ohio State to open up holes for guys like Master Teague and Trey Sermon. So for us to be talking about he could be a guy who could possibly win a national award or at least put himself in a position to do so, for him to not even show up in a mock draft, that's pretty shocking. Pat Elfline was the best center in the country. He was a fourth-rounder. So it's not like you're guaranteed. From the 619, how is Josh Myers not – in the top three rounds. We did send this out to the texters and say, hey, like, what do you think? From the 5-1-3, does it shock you that Myers isn't even in the mock draft? 
from the three three zero, my initial thought is about Josh Myers. How many centers were taken in this mock? If the answer is none, then okay. If the answer is more than one, then there is a glaring oversight by Matt Miller. Josh Myers is the best center in the Big Ten, probably one of the top two centers in the country. The only excuse I can think of is that Miller doesn't think he's coming out this year, and most Buckeye fans would agree that he is going pro. That's what I think it is. I think Matt Miller, for whatever reasons, think Josh, thinks Josh Myers isn't coming out. I'm not reading. I mean, centers, you know, offensive linemen, I don't know. That's how I read this because it's all a guess. But these draft guys talked to some people. And Nathan, I think when we initially talked about, you know, who might opt out, who might not. I, th- I think I remember you saying that you thought maybe Myers of all the NFL potential guys was maybe the most likely to stick around. I, I, I feel like I – that's some of what I'm feeling here. Yeah, don't, but isn't he the one that maybe you have the strongest vibe of like isn't done with college and has and, and just and wants to be back? I mean, I, I don't know. That's just the vibe I get from him. Maybe uh, maybe it's erroneous, but that's just from the, the few chances we've had to talk to him. Kind of the passion he has for, for coming back seems to be just a little bit stronger than it might be for some of the other guys. But also the fact that I, I, part of it is I think he is the one of, of the guys that we talk about as being like the most obvious NFL prospects as far as underclassmen, he's the one that I think maybe has the, the toughest case to get into a first rounder, obviously in this person's opinion, even, even the top three rounds. So that influences your decision sometimes. Like if you're going to leave early, you don't necessarily leave early just to go in the fourth round. You might be more inclined to stick around for that extra year. So do you think, so you think Matt Miller just thinks he's not, a top three round pick, or do you think Matt Miller is guessing that he's not coming out? If you had to guess, we didn't have, we, we could have called Matt Miller. We didn't. What would you guess, Nathan? My guess would be that it's probably, he thinks he isn't coming out, but I also don't know that it's a lock that Josh Myers would show up on a lot of top, a lot of mock drafts in the first two rounds. It's just centers, you know, interior offensive linemen, centers and guards aren't as sought after as tackles. And um, he's, he's been good but I don't think his name is out there in a national way yet the way it is with some of these other linemen, even with Wyatt Davis, obviously being a, um, an all American multiple uh, lists last year. I think he doesn't think he's coming out. Uh, I, I would say that the one thing that, that does factor into this is like, you know, we'll get into the other guys who are projected in this. Justin Fields, not from Ohio. Sean Wade, not from Ohio. Wyatt Davis, not from Ohio. Chris Olave, not from Ohio. The other guy on this list, the other two, the, the six guys that are on this list, some of them are seniors, but some of them are underclassmen. None of them are from Ohio. Josh Myers is from Ohio. So I think when we talk about will a guy come back, what would he stay? How does it factor in his decision? It doesn't mean that guys not from Ohio can't love being a Buckeye. Again, I tell the story all the time. I mean, Malcolm Jenkins and James Laurinaitis weren't from Ohio and, and they decided to come back when they had a choice to leave guys do that all the time. And there are guys from Ohio who decide to go pro, right? Uh, that's my read on that. I'm trying to look through like the other, he has them listed as interior offensive linemen. I don't know. So they're not really listed as centers. I unfortunately am a little behind at the moment on my, who are the other good centers in college football list at the moment. Again, in my own defense, partly because I don't care because I don't cover their teams. So I don't know exactly, but the way I'm going to analyze a lot of this stuff tonight is going to be like, well, what, where did other guys go from Ohio state who I felt were similar players to these guys? So 
Michael Jordan, who was a center his last year at Ohio State, went out a year early. He was a fourth-round pick. Billy Price, who was a guard and is a guard in the NFL but played center his last year, he was a first-round pick. Pat Elfline, actually, I was wrong. I said he was a fourth-round pick. He was a third-round pick. Pat Elfline was the 70th overall pick in 2017. I think maybe that's the most similar. Billy Price, I think, just had a lot of stuff going on for him. I always thought Billy was a, was a pretty, pretty darn powerful and athletic interior offensive lineman. Billy hasn't had as good of an NFL career so far as I thought he would. So I think it could be either of them. But my guess, I'm going to lean the big, you know, if you're shocked, I'm going to lean maybe Matt Miller has heard or doesn't think necessarily that, that Josh Myers is going to be in this draft. Is there anybody else, guys? The other, the other people that I mentioned, is there anybody else that you thought should have consideration as a potential top three pick in this next draft? Baron Browning is a guy, right, that we just think has a lot of potential, but he's a senior and we'll still, we'll, we are still talking about potential. Trey Sermon. You know, some people were super high on him coming in. We saw some draft things along the way that had him as maybe, you know, one of the top five running backs potentially in this draft. Steven, was there anybody that you thought, oh, you know, okay, Myers jumped out. Anybody else you thought maybe I would have put them in there in in the first three rounds? Baron Browning over Trey Sermon just because I think some of the reason why Trey Sermon is not in here is because he's been dealing with injuries. Until you see it, until you see him actually do it on the field and go through a season not hurt, you can't confidently put him in something like this. So that's understandable. While with Baron Browning, I mean, he's sort of in a similar position that Damon Arnett was in at this at this point last year, where he came back because he knew he wasn't going to be drafted, probably wasn't going to get drafted, let alone be a late round draft pick. He probably wasn't going to get drafted. So you come back for your fourth a senior year. You put some stuff on film and you show some things and maybe you can pop up in the first three rounds. Damon Arnett obviously ended up being a first-round draft pick, which I don't think any of us were – I think we're all kind of shocked that that happened. But the fact of the matter is, Damon Arnett went from a guy who wasn't getting drafted to a first-round draft pick. And maybe Baron Browning could be on the same trajectory as a guy who goes from not being drafted to being a first or second-round draft pick. And for him to not be on this list, it's pretty shocking, even if we are just going off of what his potential as a five-star guy might be. I don't know if I agree that Arnett and Browning wouldn't have been drafted if they came out earlier. I also don't know how Baron, how high Baron Browning can climb. I do think there's again some of the textures from the five one two. No season could mean that it destroys any chance for Baron Browning to really have a chance at a breakout year um, at his natural position. From the five one two is pointing out out that at that outside linebacker position. Um, I, I think we all would say that from the 3-3-0. I think, I think Baron Browning misses more than anyone in draft position if there's no season. He has the physical assets that teams want, but he hasn't had as much of an opportunity to prove it on the field as some others. Nathan, do you agree with that? Do you feel, I mean, if we were listing, like, who, who would be personally hurt the most, I guess, when it comes to draft stock by not having a season or if they have to opt out and they don't get to play as Baron Browning? at the top of your list, do you think, Nathan, or would somebody else be there? Yeah, I mean, he goes very nearly the top of the list. I think you'd also put Sermon there just because he hasn't, uh, you know, he's coming off an injury and ended last season no longer really being showcased in that offense even before he got hurt. So I think he's got something to prove as far as what his talents are and whether he is a a top half of the draft kind of guy, but really all those guys and even really some of the guys who snuck into the top three, like, I don't know that there's a guarantee that you would put those among the top 100 draft 
prospects for next year, like lock it in. You know what I mean? Um, those the, the guys who, who they have slotted in the first round, I think, are all pretty safe as top 100 guys. But the, the other guys, I, I think you could see any of those guys plausibly move up and take that spot. And there's even people – we've talked about it. There's even people like could, – could, could a Josh Proctor have the kind of season that people were just like, okay, we, he's got to go. Like, it, it's, it, he is just this good. He put it all together. Like, you can't take that off the table, right? So uh, I, I, I put that option out there, but it's, it's, it's just it's, – it's hard to get in the top – hundred spots. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, as good as like, you know, Malik Harrison and, uh, you know, um, Jonah Jackson, those guys were like, it, it's tough to, to, to climb up into that kind of, you can't take it for granted that you climb up into that kind of status. So let's, let's answer that question very quickly here. Um, last year, there were four, five, six, seven Buckeyes in the top hundred in the draft in 2019. There were five in the top hundred in 2018. There were five in the top hundred. In 2017, there were six in the top 100. And in 2016, there were one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten in the top 100 in 2016, and Josh Perry was 102. So, you know, yes, I agree. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. There's a lot of good players who are not top 100 picks in a draft. But Ohio State usually – they have six, and I think it's actually 92 guys that are, uh, that are in this mock. They, and Ohio State has six in there. So – that's about right. That's kind of the norm for Ohio state. But I think, I mean, that's what people have come to expect. There's 96, 96 guys in this mock draft. So let's get into the guys that are there. The, the last Buckeye who snuck in and I was a little surprised by this. And this is where I'm a little, where I feel like maybe my assumption about Josh Myers that he thought, Oh, he wasn't coming out. This guy being in the draft mock draft makes me think, well, maybe that assumption is wrong. Tommy Togiai is number 72 in the third round in this draft from Matt Miller. Nathan, Tommy Togiai is a guy. He's the strongest guy on the team. Everybody loves an interior nose guard who can take up space and take up double teams. Were you? What was your reaction to seeing him in these, this uh, three-round mock draft? It makes sense from a physical tool standpoint. I think there's probably scouts who have heard those sorts of things. There's probably scouts who've seen practice film of some of the things he can do. At the same time, there's a reason why he didn't break through those three tackles that they had last year. I mean, I guess really it's only the the other noses ahead of him. And um, as far as like getting more playing time and um, but, but I think we, he's also someone that we've seen as, potentially a, a pivotal season for him and, and for really the, the whole defensive interior this year, but just guys who are on the precipice and guys who clearly have some skill, have some talent and have, have played well in, in their role in the past, but this is their chance to step up and, and embrace it and do something more with it. So I would think he was someone that would have more to prove than to be that high on the list, but maybe it could also be reflective of, of what the talent is at defensive tackle for a given year too, right? Like, I don't, I, I don't know. I didn't look through to count how many DTs went ahead of him. That could also be a factor there too. So Davon Hamilton was the actual number 73 pick in the draft last year. Togi I is, only, is a true junior. He's in the 2018 class. So he has not played that much. Davon Hamilton was a fifth-year guy. Number 73 overall in the third round last year. Steven, the idea, just as you think about it, and again, I think it's valuable. Yes, every draft is different. Yes, the context of team needs and how many other guys are there at your position and how good is the draft overall. 
But just your gut at the moment, and this is all gut. I mean, we're literally talking about a September mock draft during a season that we don't even know if it's going to start. This is like the fakest fake football conversation. This would only be if we were like drafting a fantasy football team for the 2021 NFL season filled only with college guys who may or may not go pro. That would be the only way this could be faker. Do you think Tommy Togia or Davon Hamilton is a better NFL draft prospect? If Hamilton went 73, what does that make you think about where you think Togiai would go and then get this mock draft, he's 72? I think Tommy Togiai might be a better NFL draft prospect because that was what Davon Hamilton was able to do in five years here. So the fact that somebody thinks that highly of a guy who couldn't beat him out for playing time, a fifth-year guy who went that high in the draft – I think that's that's part of their thinking here. They just think he's a better prospect than the guy that was before him. Hamilton, 73 overall in the 2020 draft. Draymond Jones in the 2019 draft, also a third rounder. He was number 71. So that's the 2017 draft. In the 2016 draft, also a third rounder, Adolphus Washington. Again, Draymond and Adolphus, just completely different types of defensive tackles than Tommy Togiai. But Adolphus Washington, the 80th overall pick in 2016. Michael Bennett, who I thought was a very productive college player, and I thought maybe would go a little higher and then stuck around a little bit for the Jaguars, but didn't have a a tremendously long NFL career. 2015 draft, he was a sixth rounder at number 180. So again, I don't think Tommy Togiai is going to come out as a true junior if he thinks that he's number 180. Uh, but I just – I was a little surprised by that. If you had said to me, Matt Miller has six Buckeyes in the 2021 top three rounds, I, I don't think I would have ever guessed Tommy Togiai. Nathan, like, would you would you have gotten around to that guess as we were trying to think about, oh, well, maybe Josh Myers, oh, well, maybe Trey Sermon, well, maybe Thayer Munford, well, maybe Baron Browning. I, I'm not sure I ever would have gotten to Togiai. I think both – Myers and Sermon would probably have shown up. Man, maybe not Sermon, but definitely Myers. Um, yeah, Togiai would not have would not have been one of my six, or certainly he would not have been of one of my first ten guesses for that six spot. Maybe by the tenth guess, after all these other guys are counted for, he probably wouldn't have even been your first guess within that position room. Honestly, because you start with Tyreek Smith, and then maybe depending on how high you but, are in Toronto, you know, I, yeah, I don't know if he's tackles and ends, but yeah. Yeah, if we're going defensive line, I maybe would have guessed Tyreek Smith ahead of Tommy Togiai. Vincent yeah, hasn't but, played. Yeah. I would go Togiai ahead no, of Vincent. Yeah. Vincent, like, literally hasn't played. Yeah. This guy might It's be- interesting, though. I wonder if Miller just feels like Ohio State always has a defensive tackle taken in the third round. So he's just like, who's the most <laughs> yeah. likely one? It's it's Tommy Togiai's turn. Just plug in at seven, anywhere between 65 and 80. <laughs> Ohio State defensive tackle at this point. This guy might be more surprising, and, and, and uh, I'll send – when I said, what do you want to hear about about this draft discussion from the 614, they said, talk about being a Pete Werner hater. And I am not uh, – I responded to that texter, and I said, I'm not a Pete Werner hater. I am just the most confused Pete Werner person there is in America. And I swear to God, we're, we're doing these Buckeye retalkables again. Um, I think we're just going to one week, instead of doing a game – we're just going to sign all three of us to watch every snap that Pete Werner has played in his college career. So we can come around to a final official 
opinion on Pete Werner, who in Matt Miller's mock draft is the number 67 pick as the third pick in the third round. He has him going to the Bengals. That's all made up. There's a lot of Bengals in, in uh, a lot of Buckeyes in Cincinnati right now. I just, I would not have gotten there. And part of it, and this is not, I mean, it's certainly not a direct comparison, but so that's Pete Werner in the sixties. Malik Harrison went number 98 last year. And it would be hard for me to wrap my head around Pete Werner going 30 picks ahead of Malik Harrison. And then the one that's really the toughest for me, Jerome Baker went number 73 in the third round in 2018. I, I'm not a scout. It is, it is hard for me to get to a spot where Pete Werner is a better NFL draft prospect than Jerome Baker. Jerome Baker didn't have a great last year in Columbus, mostly attributable to, is that Bill Davis's fault? Let me check the year. I'll just assume it's Bill Davis's fault. I'm pretty sure it was Bill Davis's fault. He didn't have a great year. Like he had a great year as a sophomore. He came in, Dante Booker got hurt. Jerome came in, Jerome played great. Then I think Jerome tried to do too much and didn't get the, I think he missed Luke and didn't get the coaching that he needed. And I don't think maximized. I thought Jerome Baker had a chance to be like Ryan Shazier light, but I just think Jerome is just kind of next level. Pete makes some plays. I think Pete's versatile in coverage. Pete will come up and tackle you. I think people, Pete can play multiple positions. But Nathan, I don't know, man. I'm not, and I am not, I'm not dragging Pete Werner. I just, if, if he's a third round, if he's an early third round pick, I'm a bad talent evaluator. But guess what? I'm a bad talent evaluator no matter where he goes. I'm terrible at this stuff. So, I mean, I, you know, Pete Werner shouldn't have his feelings hurt because I'm surprised he would be this high in this mock draft. What would you think? I guess it's it's leaning into kind of what you said. Like, is it is it so much of a, a lean towards his coverage responsibilities and his coverage abilities? Is that like so sought after in the NFL right now that it would elevate him to, to that kind of status because they need guys who can, you know, the tight end is such a huge position in the NFL for so many teams as far as what they do with it as a, as a receiving position, like, and they need guys who can cover those guys. So would that alone push him up to that? Or do they see him as being able to fulfill some sort of a, a hybrid NFL position because of, of what his versatility is? I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, they, similarly, he's not probably would not have been one of the six that I picked to be in the top 80 picks or whatever that is. From the five, one, three, glad Pete Werner got some love. He's the type of guy Buckeye fans don't realize they love until he's gone. And the coaches are saying, we don't have Pete Werner to play that spot anymore. Also hard to imagine Browning not going in the first three rounds just based off the measurables that he'll put up at the combine. I do think, I mean, I think Pete is athletic. I mean, I do think that's, that maybe is overlooked. I mean, Pete, you've got to have some athletic skills to play that spot. And he does have those. From the 937, Pete Werner, what? Like a little surprise there. So that, I mean, I get people being surprised at also. Two, from the 269, Pete Werner is interesting at number 67. Does he project more as a linebacker or a John Lynch type safety? Seems like it might be more safety than linebacker. I could be way off on that. So that I think is interesting. I think that's getting a little bit at what you're talking about, Nathan. I mean, we, we've, you know, had, sort of had the eyes bug, our eyes bug out of our heads when they had some of those rotations on defense and you would wind up with Pete Werner as a deep safety. There's not many linebackers you would trust back there though. Um, Steven, were you shocked by Pete Werner at 67 or were you like able to sort of wrap your head around it? Um, yeah, just because of what, what Nathan said, the, the, the premium of finding guys who can you know cover tight ends, especially right now with 
how they're using the NFL. I think that raised that up. But then also, yeah, the John Lynch, maybe he's a hybrid of a safety or a linebacker, but really just that ability to cover tight ends that he showed in multiple games last year is such a valuable thing to have from a linebacker position right now that, no, I can wrap my head around why he's that high because it's such a premium. The thing that I always, I mean, I would have, I mean, I'm going to guess, is he that much better than like the 12 other outside linebackers who cover tight ends who are going to be in the draft with him that like, you've got to go, like you think, well, if we don't take Warner here in the third round and we're kind of interested in a guy like that, are we going to be able to get somebody else? I mean, my instinct is like, well, yeah, you'll be able to get somebody else. I don't know that Pete Warner is so rare, Um, but I don't know. I mean, if you told me Pete Warner in the fifth round, you know, that, that just sounds that sounds more reasonable to me, but I was talking to somebody. Oh, why am I going to hide it? I was talking to Landis today. Landis loves him. Landis loves him in the top 100 guy. So I said, I'm just going to, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it at some point. I'm going to watch every snap Pete Warner played last year and see what I think from the three, one, seven, no shocks here. Other than Warner being that high, I would have expected him to be in the fifth or sixth round side note that we didn't get to before. The most intriguing part of this to me is Togiai. We've yet to see him as the guy on the interior, and it would be a shame if he never got his chance to make an impact. I also think him leaving would leave a huge hole as there isn't a ton of depth at defensive tackle. How much do you guys think he could boost his draft stock by coming back, and do you think he would come back if the Big Ten doesn't play in the fall, he doesn't get a full season? That's one of these things, too. Pete's a senior, right? But I do think like a guy like Togiai, and we sort of touched on that, right, Nathan? I mean, like, you've got a balance right. of, well, you might be this now, and it's sort of what Nate, what Stephen was saying with Baron Browning and Damon Arnett and guys like, well, you know, you maybe could have gone and been a lower pick if it could a guy like Togiai, if he came back and was, you know, had an All-American type season. Now are you talking about, could you go in the, first, in the top 50 picks maybe with that, with that profile that Togiai has? Yeah, yeah, and I don't, I don't think he – he certainly wouldn't have to be an All-American just to go in where they have him slotted or in one of those – in the first three rounds. I don't think it would take that. Um, I, but I would think it would just take him, you know, translating what he's shown in short bursts just with his his physicality, like what he can bring, his strength. If he can take that and, and demonstrate that he can do it over more snaps, more consecutive snaps, more times through a game, I, I think that alone could maybe push him up into that spot. We just haven't seen it yet. It, it's not really – like you said, it's not knocking anybody. It's just we haven't seen it yet. We don't really have reason to believe that he won't or will do it. It's it, – he has to go out and prove it. And and I think he, there's a handful of guys in that spot. And we've talked about them all over the field that guys who the potential's there, because uh, as there always is at Ohio state, it's just a matter of when do they get out there and get a chance to show it. Four more guys in this Matt Miller mock draft. And again, we want to guide you to that because we're using Matt's content. Um, so if you want to go read that, it's free. It's at Bleacher Report. The headline is, as I, Scroll, 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 scroll. Bleach Report puts in a lot of pictures. 2021 NFL mock draft colon Matt Miller's early projections ahead of NFL season. So that was Matt Miller, September 7th. Go ahead and give that a look. We'll be back with the four first round Buckeyes in this mock draft right after this on Buckeye Talk. All right, no second rounders. No second rounders. I did think it was interesting Looking at some of the opt-outs in the Big Ten, it kind of reminded you of like, yeah, man, like if there's a Big Ten season, you're going to miss some of these guys. Um, Rashawn Slater, the Northwestern offensive lineman, he's number 41 in the second round. Um, Let's see. 
There's a couple of guys who, who are still around. Quiddy Pay from Michigan was in this second round. Shaka Tony from Penn State is in this second round. Um, I don't want to give Matt Miller's all of his work away. Pat Frymuth, the tight end from Penn State, he's in the second round. Rondale Moore as an opt-out from the Big Ten. He's a first-rounder in this. Um, Micah Parsons as an opt-out from the Big Ten. He's a first-rounder in this. And I thought I saw Jalen Mayfield. Did I see that right? Is he in here somewhere? There's a guy from Wake Forest in there. Congratulations to Wake Forest. Um, so, yeah, it's just it's a reminder of, of some of the guys you're going to miss this season. Jalen Mayfield, the offensive tackle from Michigan, who's an opt-out. He's a first-rounder in this. So that's there's three Big Ten opt-outs in the first round and one in the second round. But the four Buckeyes, while, again, still going in reverse order, I almost thought this was low. Steven, did you think this was low? Number 32, last pick in the first round, Wyatt Davis. What did you think of Wyatt Davis at 32? Um, I was more shocked that he wasn't the first guard than the fact that he was just number 32. I, I, I mean, like Nathan said earlier, I think there's more of a premium on tackle than our interior linemen. So maybe if he would have fallen into the second round, that would have been fine. But the fact that he wasn't the first guard taken off the board in this mock draft was a little shocking to me because I think we can all agree this is that he's the best guard in the country. Well, we can agree because we don't know squat. I mean, we don't know. I mean, can you name another guard? Who's the guy who went ahead of him? That you uh, said, I mean, I, my, my scrolling isn't going so well. Trey Smith from Tennessee. Before yeah. this mock draft, had you heard of Trey Smith? I had not. So let's not say Trey things like, I think – I think we all can agree. I mean, uh, through our, I mean, you know, I don't know. It seems like that's what we've heard other people say. Guards are hard. Guards are hard. Buckeye talk. Guards are hard. I do think, again, playing the comparison game, Billy Price was the number 21 overall pick in a draft. I think Wyatt's better than Billy Price. So, so uh, that's, that's a comparison for me that if knowing, having watched every snap Billy Price ever played, having watched every snap that Wyatt Davis has ever played, to me, I personally at the moment would view Wyatt Davis as a better NFL prospect than Billy Price, and Price went 21. What did you think of Wyatt Davis at 32, Nathan? It, it seemed low to me, but obviously, you know, a guy going 21 five years ago and a guy going 32 this year don't necessarily have anything to do with each other as far as a value judgment of, of the teams that are drafting because it's, it's so limited to the, the circumstances of, of each individual draft. I will say, can I give some context? What's your context? I will say Miller, if you look through this, there aren't a lot of interior offensive linemen, um, non tackles. I mean, going back to the Josh Myers thing, I think there's only one center taken ahead of him in any of these, like there was only one center in any of these three rounds. Um, and that's Creed Humphrey from, um, uh, Oklahoma, who went, I think it was 40. They had him 40th. And that's the guy who was first team All-America. So I, it just seems to be, this seems to, this may be a draft in, in Miller's eyes right now, the way he looks at it, that isn't as heavy on interior guys. So that, that could be where why he's slotting guys where he does. But I, it's also just a position where you don't get a chance necessarily to, to stand out, to, to like, dominate in a in a in a way that just maybe the, the more casual observers would get i know that miller's not a more casual observer i think he you know he talks to guys he knows what he's doing but uh, it's also just not a position that uh, teams will overdraft or or, or kind of seems like reach for the way that they will for a tackle last 10 drafts 
here's how many guards went in the first round. One, two, two, three, zero, three, two, zero, two, one. Actually, last 11 drafts and zero last year. No guards went in the first round last year. So that's part of it, right? I mean, that's you can be as the best guy or the best guy, the second best guy at your position. And if it's just not a glamour position where, you, where there's value, you maybe aren't going to go that high. I will be, I in the end, I, don't, I mean, he's not Quentin Nelson with the Colts, who was the sixth overall pick in 2018 and, and is the best guard to come into the league in 10 years. So he's not that. I think he's in the mix knowing nothing. I think he's in the mix with almost anybody else that we've seen come in to the NFL at that position in a while. I mean, he's got the pedigree. He played pretty early. I think he's athletic. I think he's, I think he's a bulldog. I think he's tough and strong. I think he's smart. I think he's got it all. So I, in the end, will be surprised if Wyatt Davis, even despite his position, does not wind up as a first-round pick. And here in this draft, he is a first-round pick. He's just kind of a little bit um, lower of a first-round pick. So he's the lowest first-round guy. Three other guys that went in this first round. And again, six overall in these first three rounds. Steven, were you surprised by number 29, Chris Olave? What'd you think of that, Steven? Yeah, I didn't think he would be a guy that you'd be looking at as a first-round draft pick. After three years, I thought maybe second or third round, which is why we've been having a discussion on why he, he might, may or not, may not come back for a senior season. But, yeah, a little – I think he still has some more things he could show. Obviously, based on what happens this year when they play the season, he could show that and play his way into the first round. But just based off what we know now, I think there was more for – for him to be shown to be already in some odd drafts as a first round draft pick and before his junior season was played. We've seen some, some people sort of refer to him as a potential mm-hmm. first round pick. Are, do you think of him, Nathan, as kind of like a, are you thinking of Chris Olave as a potential first round pick right now? Or do you think a lot of that would still sort of depend on him getting one more chance to show people what he can do? We already even kind of talked about this a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about, I guess, who might, come back based on who needs to come back to help themselves and he was one of the guys that I thought would probably need to come back because there's sort of an x factor right there's sort of a thing that like you you don't know it until you see it as like boy that guy that's a first round draft pick like you can just sort of see it sometimes you get a little bit surprised I don't know that we thought Damon Arnett was absolutely a first round draft pick you know so nobody thought he was a first round pick including well the Raiders did the Raiders no. did. But let's not, act, let's not act like before the draft is like, well, I wasn't sure. We didn't know we were dumbfounded when he got picked in the first round. So I don't know about, I don't know about dumbfounded, but I was, I was definitely surprised. And I was dumbfounded. I, and I think a lot of it, like if you had told me before this that there was, uh, with, without telling me even how many Ohio State players were included in the first round, if you had told me, okay, there was one Ohio State player listed in the second round, I would have, I would have guessed Chris Olave. That seemed like a, a more um, – suitable round for like where I see him as a player right now. But I think some of that also is just, it's, it's maybe I'm just blinded by looking for some kind of something flashy, something that like you, you something that demands you pay attention to it instead of just being like a reliable, productive guy that he has been, not that he hasn't had some big plays too. I'm not trying to say that he's like a, 
a KJ Hill like possession guy. That's not what I'm saying, but I'm also saying that I don't know that I've seen it in, a, in like when I think of first round wide receivers, I think of just like just like this kind of athleticism and size size is usually a part of it. Like you just can't not pay attention to it. And I'm still skeptical that, especially when you start factoring in something like the size that he would absolutely be one of those guys, but maybe he could prove it with another year. So in, in the, uh, my plan of comparing everybody to other Ohio state guys and where they got picked, it really blows things up when the best receiver in the NFL was a second round pick. So it's like, well, you know, should he go ahead of the best receiver in the NFL? Right. And then it's like, okay, well, then no NF, no Ohio State receiver can ever be a first-round pick again because the right. league was too dumb to pick Michael Thomas in the first round when anybody who covered Ohio State would have told you, pick Michael Thomas in the first round. To your point sort of about, I think, but I don't think we're any dumber than the NFL on this in – having an inclination to lean toward explosive traits with receivers, right? Speed, size, go up and get a ball. So there are six receivers ahead of Chris Olave in this mock draft. Jamar Chase, that. Right. Two Bama guys, Jalen Waddell and Devonta Smith, that, right? All makes sense. Rondale Moore, a very different receiver than Chris Olave, a slot guy, but explosive, no doubt about it, right? Now we're getting into Rashad Bateman from Minnesota. We know how good he is. He's a first-team All-Big Ten guy. And then Sage Surratt from Wake Forest. And I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to take the Ohio State guy over the Wake Forest guy. Let someone else put their reputation on the Wake Forest guy. I don't know that Chris Olave isn't a better pro prospect than Rashad Bateman. I think Rashad Bateman's good. But I do think something, and I don't know if this is seeping into the consciousness or not, or, and, and maybe Ohio State's doing a really good job of promoting this. I feel like this has come up a couple times during this preseason camp with, with the NFL. And it's come up with K.J. Hill, who went too late and has had, had a good camp with the Chargers and made the team with ease and should have been a much higher pick than he was last year when he was the number 220 overall player in the seventh round, but you've seen it with guy like guys like KJ Hill. You've seen it with guys like Terry McLaurin. It seems like Ohio state guys run great routes. They're precise. They have the, the technique down. They know how to catch, but they run. A lot of it is the route running. And I think Michael Thomas, Michael Thomas is not speed. Michael Thomas is all technique route running hands, body positioning. He is going to run a great route to get himself open. And if the ball's near him, he's going to catch it which I don't know, it seems like what the qualifications of a receiver are. But I don't know if that's seeping in a little bit. And even in, in reading other draft people on Twitter who were breaking down Chris Olave, they talk about his route running. So I don't know if this is catching on. Brian Hartline's really good at this. He, he's a phenomenal teacher of the craft. And if that's given Ohio State guys a little push, of course, there are other great receivers, coaches, and other great programs that can do it. Chris Olave is a little slight to me and not like not, just a little, a little wiry, right, Nathan? I mean, we're sort of talking about, I don't know. Yeah. He's shown that from freshman year in the Michigan game. He went and made some plays with some body positioning that I was like, whoa, that guy. I, he was doing things his freshman year that I felt like other more veteran receivers at Ohio State maybe hadn't been doing. So I do think he has great technique. And I'll, t and I'll say this, I'm not going to compare him to Michael Thomas. He's a very different player than Paris Campbell. 
Paris Campbell went number 59 in the second round. I would definitely draft Chris Olave ahead of Paris Campbell. That's no slight to Paris Campbell. Chris Olave to me is a more complete receiver. So I get, I get the first round love here, but Steven, to me at the moment, it's not a hundred percent that, that Chris Olave is going to wind up being a first rounder because I just think maybe there might be some guys who are playing who come out of nowhere show a little more explosiveness and catch somebody's eye. And then all of a sudden you're getting Chris Olave, like middle of the second round and figuring out you got a great receiver. Yeah. I'm, I'm shocked. He's in the first, but to the point, we're going to compare him to Michael Thomas. So I just pulled up some of these guys is 40 times at the combine. Michael Thomas, a four five, seven, uh, Terry McLaurin went a four, three, five, when obviously all three receivers just lit the combine on fire with those times. KJ Hill ran a four, six. And I maybe, I mean, speed matters, especially once you get to the NFL level, Maybe Chris Olave is the guy who put it to like Michael Thomas runs great routes, but he wasn't the fastest wide receiver in the world. To your point, KJ Hill is a great possession receiver, but he wasn't the fastest wide receiver in the world. He was pretty slow actually for a wide receiver, which is probably why he dropped a little bit. Well, Chris Olave is a guy who runs great routes. He's also pretty fast. We don't know what his exact 40 time is, but I'm going to bet that it's going to be faster than Michael Thomas and KJ Hills was. And it's probably going to be in the vicinity of where Terry McLaurin's 40 time was, which is putting it all together as a wide receiver. You've got running good routes, but you're also pretty freaking fast. Yeah, I don't think he's Terry McLaurin fast. Terry McLaurin had such a weird career. Uh, he just never was as productive. Uh, maybe he just didn't get the chances. He playing with JT and then yeah. had the year at Wayne, but never – I mean, it was always the great debate. I could never tell. I thought, like, the Ohio State receivers at that time were fine, but I couldn't tell if JT was maybe – holding them back a little bit, or if they were holding JT back a little bit. Um, I'm, I'm surprised how, I mean, Terry McLaurin became a draft darling, and then he had a tremendous NFL rookie year. I did not think Terry was going to be that good. But what Terry has is that combination of, I think, pretty decent size, but great technique, good hands, and he has the blazing speed. I don't think Olave is quite as fast as him. From the 7-3-4, Chris Olave is a first-round guy with the year and a half of starting and that slight frame Seems like a stretch. Love him. He's great. I think he'd need another year. So I, I think we're all in that zone on Olave from the 706. I think Olave, here we go. I don't know about this. I'm not in this zone. I love Buckeye fans. I think Olave will be just as good, maybe better than Michael Thomas. <laughs> Olave's entire career, his position coach was a pro. We definitely know who Michael Thomas's coach was. So that's like not what the difference is going to be. Like if, if, can we not do that though? Can we let's not do that to Chris Olave? The way you think he'll be better than the best receiver in the NFL. Um, I think I mean, that helps explain maybe why Michael Thomas went in the second round, but it doesn't help. That, that's not, yeah, you're right. I mean, that, that, that isn't going to influence what they become when they're in the NFL. They would I mean, people fell in love. They, they didn't throw the ball much. And it was the urban Meyer running quarterback offense that Michael Thomas right. was playing in. And as we, as we recovered on the retalkables, Last Friday, I mean, it's like he was in an offense with with so much talent that there were guys in the Big 12 in run-and-shoot offenses who had no other offensive talent around them that tripled Michael Thomas's numbers. And right. the NFL was like, yeah, that guy, Josh Doxson, that guy. And it's like, what are you doing? What is when wrong in, with you? And still with as much as Ohio State rotates its guys, that, that's always going to be a factor, right, the numbers. And that, that, that might be one reason why I – why that thing hasn't clicked for me yet with a lobby. Cause I've seen him the least of the, of the three of us. I'm still the one who's watched him the least. I didn't in, in 
um, they were still rotating those those other guys a lot last year with him. So it wasn't like he was out there as much as even like a Rashad Bateman is, right? Like he doesn't he doesn't run as many routes. He doesn't get as many snaps as those other guys. But that shouldn't be – I mean, it, that shouldn't be a determining factor for these guys who are paid to scout this stuff. Yeah, it's probably not. Probably especially not. when they're getting their practice film as well and they know how State's going against NFL talent on the other side when they go 1v1, so – that's what I'm saying, though. That's, that's why it might affect my opinion compared to what yeah. they're saying. That's why mine might be lower. I also think I don't. I don't. I, I'm realizing I might be trying to. I might be making it sound like I think Chris Olave is slow. I don't think Chris Olave is slow. Chris Olave is a great deep threat. Chris Olave runs by people all the time. I don't know that he's a mid four three guy, right? I mean, Terry McLaurin was no. really fast, but the other thing is he doesn't have to be Michael Thomas. If NFL teams are looking at Terry McLaurin and saying, "Dang." That guy, why did that guy last to the third to the third round? Let's not make that mistake again. Chris Olave is in the is in the ballpark of that, right? And so I think Terry McLaurin might be a very a very nice thing on the side of Chris Olave as a draft prospect as as we look at this. I thought some of his his deep kills last year though, a lot of them seemed to come off of play action and stuff like stuff like you know or or pump fakes things like that like that's where i thought i saw so again that's one of the things that's in the back of my mind like i don't know if i've seen chris olave run a deep route on an on his own if you want to say like air quotes like you know you know what i mean like just blow by a guy in it in the same way i like to see maybe some more of that this coming season as opposed to the way he was getting those big plays last year i think uh, I think that he's had a benefit of having two totally different quarterbacks as far as what they were able to do in the run game. And that's that Michigan game sticks out. He beat his man to go get that ball, which was kind of the point there where Ohio State was going with wide receivers and where they were going with the passing game. But having two different styles of quarterback where one was a running threat, so cornerbacks had to think about that while having another one who is a running threat, I think it helps. Because, I, oh, yeah, you're right. We've seen it a little bit. We've seen him beat, him, beat his man off, off the line of scrimmage maybe a little bit more. But I think that Two different styles of quarterbacks helps. I do like the what he does at the point of attack, at the point of catch, right? I do like the way he plays, what the way he uses his body there. He definitely is bigger. I even I think I even wrote about this last year, a, a piece about this about how he um, plays bigger than six one with yeah, with what he can do vertically. So I, I do think that's an asset for him. But there's also a lot of guys in college football who do that, and there are, some of them are like six three, six four, and they're going to be in this draft too. So I, I do still think he's just someone that I, I, he could really help if he can show some more. I would say he's not Jamar Chase, and I don't think he's the two Bama guys. But I think he could be next, right? I mean, and then, and then Moore is just what you want. Rondale Moore, they're so different. But if you, I think Chris Olave could get into the level right below those guys. I mean, nobody's Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase is going to be like – Jamar Chase is fifth in this draft. Jamar Chase is, is, is whatever. He's Demetrius Hopkins – Miller's uh whatever Miller's April draft I think had had chase number two okay so yeah I mean I think everybody was projecting him to the Jets already which I don't know how people can do that because the season hasn't even started but that's what mock drafts I think they usually go by the a lot of times they go by like the Vegas odds no I I understand it but I I like I've read people like like NFL writers say like Jamar Chase is going to be a Jet and it's like what does that mean like you're so sure the Jets are going to be bad enough and if he's there they're going to take him all right last two guys Number 18 is Sean Wade. And again, playing the comparison game, Damon Arnett went number 19. I would take Sean Wade ahead of Damon Arnett. Jeff Okuda went number three last year. I would not take Sean Wade ahead of Jeff Okuda right now. Um, 
Kendall Sheffield was a fourth round pick. I would take Sean Wade ahead of him. Denzel Ward to the Browns in 2018 was number four overall. I still was surprised by that. I'm not sure that, that Sean Wade isn't in the end going to be a better prospect than Denzel Ward. I, I am, I still am caught up a little bit on Denzel's size. I thought that was a reach by the Browns. It's turned, he's been pretty good. I just thought Denzel was more like the ninth or 11th pick in the draft, not the fourth pick, but I think Denzel and, and, and Sean are, are in the same area code on that. Marshawn Lattimore went number 11 in 2019. I would take Marshawn. Uh, Garon Conley went number 24 in the first round in 2017. I would take Wade over Conley based on stuff so far. 2016, Eli Apple went number 10 in the first round. I would take Sean Wade over Eli Apple. I thought Eli Apple was overdrafted, and I think the way his career has played out has confirmed that. Um, Duran Grant, fourth rounder. In 2015, I'd take Sean Wade. Bradley Roby, I really liked Bradley Roby in 2014. He went number 31. I just thought Bradley Roby was a baller. Um, Physical, like fast and up right on top of you. I think, I mean, like, you know, I think Sean Wade will go ahead of that. But but I think Sean Wade to me is right there. I've always said Okuda and Lattimore to me are the guys at the top of the list of Ohio State corners that I've seen. Nathan, the idea of Sean Wade at 18. Did that sound about right to you, Nathan? Yeah, I mean, anything from low top 10 to – but still probably above the top 20. I mean, that, I think that's all pretty plausible for him at this point. It's just going to depend on who, who's drafting where. Um, I, I, I like him so much just because, A, the, the versatility that he was supposed to get to show this season, obviously, you know, going outside and kind of adding that to his uh, tool belt a little bit and, and – putting that on film, showing NFL teams another dimension. But I thought last year in the slot, he showed a lot still. I mean, I thought he showed how tough he is. He was a guy that pretty consistently would come up and make plays, I thought, at the line of scrimmage. was not someone who was intimidated to get in there and scrap and do things uh, in, in the run game. And it was was an asset there as opposed to just being a guy on the field. I, I just I think he fits really well in the NFL. I think he will be a guy who will be able to play a long time in the NFL. So I think he just goes out and works hard and plays hard. And I think those are assets on top of what he has as just his, his skill, um, his speed, those sorts of things. So I, he's someone that I think 18 would be maybe about where I would assume the baseline is for him. But again, without knowing positional um, necessity, but I, it's someone who I think could climb because I think his name is out there. Um, and if he had, if he were to come back and have a great season, if you had that chance, I think it would help him. So Caleb Farley from Virginia tech, who was one of the first guys to opt out and Patrick Sertain from Alabama are the two corners ahead of Sean Wade in this Matt Miller mock draft. And we've talked about this at various times a lot, Steven, how much do you think, Sean Wade could have helped his draft stock or still could help his draft stock if he, if he plays more college games, as opposed to if they don't play until January and he opts out, how, how, how big of it, how big is it for him that he hasn't played outside corner and the NFL hasn't seen that yet? I think it's a difference between him being a guaranteed top 10 pick and being where he's mock drafted right now. Basically, if this is his baseline, because the question is, we haven't seen you play outside corner. Yes, we've seen you do all these other things, which are good enough to make you a first round draft pick. But I think there's some money to be made for him to be able to show that he can play the outside corner and add that to the list of things he's got the ability to do. So I think his baseline, if he gets the chance to play this season, is at worst number 10 in the draft. While if he doesn't get a chance to play, he probably is around 18 to 25. 
I was surprised Marshawn kind of felt like that, that he did. He did. He fell just outside the top 10, but um, Sean's really good. I mean, like Sean, mm-hmm. Sean is like a really good player. And there are times when you go back and you just watch a little film on him and he is just like all over the guy that he is covering. And so I think the, the, the versatility that he has played in the slot um, and then to get him an outside corner and that he can do both. I actually think it helps guys sometimes not that it's easy to play slot corner. It's not, but I think um, the whole point is like outside corner is a little kind of more important, right? You're getting locked up one-on-one a lot of times with the best guys in the league. That's why Sean wants to get out there because that's a little more of a money position and you want to prove that. I do think it helps teams sometimes. And this happened with Malcolm Jenkins a little bit when he was coming out, um, whatever, a decade and a half ago, people were talking about him as a safety then. And I was like, what are you talking about? Malcolm Jenkins is a corner. Why would anyone project him as a safety? And then Malcolm ended up being a safety very quickly. And he is like a really good safety. But if you can take Sean as an outside corner and the worst case, like the worst case scenario is he's a really good slot corner, which you still need. Just like with Malcolm, the worst case scenario is we can play him at safety. He's going to be really good. And he's been excellent. And he also has a chance to be a high-end outside corner. I think it's rough for Sean if he doesn't get to play outside corner, which was what we just discussed. But I think in the end, his versatility will help him. So um, I do think, Nathan, the thing you said, that if 18 is sort of like the baseline, that's about where I, I would be hard as the third corner in the draft. Man, it's such a valuable position. And if somehow he gets to play and he can show it or he does something in workouts that people say, man, this guy is legit. Then I think Steven, that's what we're talking about. He's an outside corner who has a chance to be in the top 10. Guess Cause Arnett showed last year. You really only have to impress like one team. You can impress well, one team and really shoot up there. Yeah. So you got to make somebody fall in love. You got to make yeah. somebody fall in love and you're better off making somebody making one team fall in love than everybody kind of liking you because then everybody has people they're in love with. And so then Oh, like it's like all of a sudden you're in 10 spots in a row where it was either you or this other guy they loved and they took the guy they loved and you or the, and you like are the runner up as a pick. And all of a sudden you fall from your mind have gone ninth and now you're there at 27. So you want to make somebody love you, but I think the right kind of team. And I do think Sean can be, I mean, all these guys are like this. What am I talking about? This is all made up stuff. Let me tell you, but <laughs> Sometimes, I mean, I think Sean can get you over the top, right? I mean, like if you're a good team that's like, listen, we have good outside corners. We can bring him in, play him in the slot, groom him to play outside, but he doesn't have to be our best defensive player right away. And if you're getting picked in the teens or the 20s, then that's the kind of team you're often going to. That can help you too. I think people, I think people will find reasons to fall in love with Sean Wade, but it would help him if you got some film out there. Hey, there's a guy we didn't do yet. We're going to do him as our last NFL draft prospect from the Buckeyes right after this on Buckeye Talk. So one of the texters, 614-350-3315, if you want to get in on that, hit another threshold the other week. Thanks to our texters for getting us over that. We got an email from our people with exclamation points in it. So we appreciate that. 14-day free trial, $3.99 a month after that. I mean, we're going to come up with fun stuff. I'm sending out, um, this is the Tuesday pod. Tuesday morning, I'm going to send out the next chain restaurant bracket voting. Oh, right. Unless they, unless they do something and decide to play Big Ten football, then I probably will have to delay the chain restaurant bracket voting. But that's the plan at the moment. So come join us. Justin Fields is four. And he's the third quarterback. And as someone pointed out, this isn't exactly fair. Matt Miller had a big board that he did in the spring. 
which is different than his mock draft, but he hasn't done a big board since then. And he has Justin Fields 24th. This is what he wrote in May. My early evaluation on Fields was not overly positive. There's 12 months for his stock to improve, but he shouldn't be seen as a first-round lock at this point of the pre-draft process. Fields impresses with his touch and his toughness as a runner, but his decision-making and field vision don't stand out. His average arm strength also could be an issue if it doesn't increase in power, which can happen naturally as a player matures. That's a draft guy. That's all he does is draft stuff. We just cover a team. Steven, what did you think of that evaluation of Justin Fields? The arm strength is not a problem at all. I don't, I don't, I don't know how he came to that conclusion. But I mean, he, he would know he evaluates talent, so he probably better than, at this than me. But I thought his arm strength was one of his biggest pros for him. I mean, he actually at times you, know, you you wrote about the out routes all the time and his ability to make those throws all the time. And I think at some point there were moments during the season where his arm strength was that was actually a negative because he was throwing the ball too hard, and you know guys like J.K. Dobbins were dropping the ball because it was just coming in too hot. So I don't. The arm strength, when that's a, I don't know if I agree with that. I don't agree with it either because I think people were saying he has a stronger arm than, than Dwayne Haskins. Yeah. Um, and that part of the deal with Justin was trying to figure out, you know, how to throw the right kind of ball in different situations. He is tough. He is poised. He can run. I think he can make all the throws. I think he's got – he's not Deshaun Watson yet. So he's not – I don't think he's that – um, next level leader yet, but he was starting to show it, right? And I think a moment, maybe of all the things he didn't get to show, that might be the thing that will be missed the most. That I mean, it's like, of course, he wasn't a Deshaun Watson type leader in his first year at a program when he transferred in January. It's like, okay, well, that makes sense. He would have grown into that this year. Um, I, I'm surprised by that. He still has him fourth in this draft, but he also does have him behind. He has Trevor Lawrence one, he has Panay Sewell three, and he has Trey Lance two. Trey Lance is the North Dakota State quarterback. Everybody's in love with him. That's fine. That's fine. I, I, I am like a dumb old school guy. I'm like, I don't think I would take the North Dakota State quarterback over the Georgia Ohio State quarterback, who is one of the two best prospects coming out of high school and has seemed to live up to it in every way. So um, the idea of Justin Fields at four or Nathan, if you want to comment on that ranking from May of him as the 24th best prospect in the draft. And I saw the one in April, I think, had him 13th. So it, it is interesting how that has risen so starkly, considering he hasn't played any more football since then. So is it just based on some of the leadership things that he's shown here in the last couple months that he got that kind of a boost? I'm not sure because, I mean, uh, I, I, I quibble a little bit with the evaluation from May as far as, like, his his vision and his decision-making, too. And I, I we talked about the decision-making. There were definitely times where he um, – Ryan Day said that there were times he wanted him to throw the ball away and things like that. But I think there were also times where Justin Fields didn't because he was trying to make a play. And I, I think there's some value to that too. And the down, you know, the vision, I know that's not the only thing that, that factors into turnovers and things like that. But I mean, to go through a season and go into the national championship game with only one interception, considering how many times he threw the ball, I think sort of speaks for itself too, as far as his just um, his efficiency. I mean, it, this is all about efficiency when you get to the NFL level. I think it's 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 guys who who have these talents, but can you use them in the most efficient way possible? You can't be turning the ball over. You can't have empty downs. And uh, he seems like a guy that would be able to go in and give you that. I mean, be able to go in and be a a a, a guy who has maybe that top end um, 
that, that sort of top end skill and, and, and a really high ceiling in that regard, but is also just sharp and, and clean with it and, and won't, won't, won't make mistakes, won't hurt. He won't hurt himself. The defenses he faced last year were, you know, some kind of mediocre Big Ten defenses for a lot of the time. I thought against Clemson, he did make a couple questionable decisions, but he also made some great decisions and ripped some throws against a, a high-level defense filled with NFL guys. So um, I, I, don't, I don't think his – I wouldn't say that his decision-making is, like, questionable. I think it maybe could get better, um, but I also – I don't think his arm strength is questionable, and I just think he's got it. And, and I'll, I'll run through, like, quickly – Last, would I take him over Joe Burrow, who went number one last year? No, I'd take Joe Burrow. Tua at five versus Justin. I think actually that's pretty close, but Tua's hurt. So, like, if, if Justin had come out and he was the exact guy that he is right now and he was in last year's draft and you were picking fifth, I would take Justin over Tua because Justin's not hurt, right? Kyler Murray the year before, Kyler Murray might end up being nuts. Like, Kyler's kind of got some stuff. I probably would take Kyler over him. But Daniel Jones went six in that draft. I would take Justin over Daniel Jones, but everybody thought Dave Gettleman was nuts for taking Daniel Jones over Dwayne Haskins. So I want to ask Steven that. Steven, would you take Justin Fields or Dwayne Haskins? Justin, uh, Dwayne Haskins went 15th in that draft to the Redskins and did not have a great rookie year, but now has won the job in year two. I think I might take Justin. Um, stronger arm and can run. That ability to run is just such a – I mean, that gives you such an advantage, especially in today's NFL. When you, I mean, the best quarterbacks in the NFL can all run, unless you're Tom Brady and you're 75 years old and for some reason are still competing for Super Bowls. The best quarterbacks in the NFL who are around the same age as Justin Fields and Dwayne Askins all have the ability to run. That's a valuable asset at this point. So that, that alone is why you take Justin Fields over, over Dwayne. I like Dwayne as an NFL prospect, but I would take Justin too. Baker Mayfield, number one to the Browns in 18. Sam Darnold was three. Josh Allen was seven. I might take Justin over Baker. Baker ripped it. I like Baker. I liked Baker then. I like Baker now. I think Baker is accurate. He's smaller, but Justin just is more, a little more in the run game. And I thought Justin was accurate last year. So I just think the, the upside maybe for Justin is higher. That was a good draft class. And of course, Lamar Jackson, the MVP went 32nd in that draft. But I feel like even in two years, the NFL has gotten smarter about things, but also Justin's bigger than Lamar Jackson was. So um, I think Justin would have been in the mix for number one that year, 2017, Mitch Trubisky, first quarterback off the board, only one year as a starter. That was a big discussion back then. It only started one year at North Carolina. And then we, of course, we know Patrick Mahomes went 10 and Deshaun Watson went 12. That's one of those where it's like, well, I wouldn't take, I wouldn't have taken Justin over Mitch Trubisky. I mean, I, I would take, would have, Ju yeah. I, I would. <laughs> Steven was like looking at his phone and I said, I wouldn't take him over Mitch Trubisky. And Steven almost reached through the computer and strangled me. What? Those were some, I saw every bit of the whites of Steven's eyeballs on that yeah. one. Was, I mean, come oh. on, Justin Fields is no Nick Foles, right? <laughs> so yes, I would take Justin Fields over Mitch Trubisky, but I would not take Justin Fields over Deshaun. I like, I loved, I mean, I loved Deshaun. I loved Deshaun with every fiber of my being. Um, so that's just like that quarterback order. And Patrick Mahomes was a wild card then, right? So some of this is like Jared Goff, number one, Carson Wentz, number two in 2016. I, Justin's right there with any of those guys. So 
you know, there's a couple guys who are just special, special, special. Um, but Justin's like, Justin's right in that mix. And I, I guess for let's each give sort of our final draft evaluation about Justin Fields as it stands right now. If you were going to tell an NFL team, if an NFL team called you up, Stephen Means, and said, hey, man, you covered him for a year. What, what do you think of Justin Fields? Tell us in, in a minute why we should or shouldn't draft him in the top five. What would you say? I think everything you're looking for in a starting NFL quarterback, he has the size, the athleticism, the strong arm. Um, he's being coached by a quarterback developer who is starting to show, you know, he's turning quarterbacks into Heisman level players. So we've seen, we've seen Ryan Day build that, you know, that reputation for himself. I, 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 he was better than the guy everybody thinks is going to be the number one draft pick in the NFL you know, all of last season. And really for the bulk of that game, it, it was pretty neck and neck who was better when they actually went head to head to be, if we're going to be honest here. Um, I think the one thing you're missing is just the fact that he's only been a starter for one year. And so obviously there are some leadership things he still has to show, but also I think because of what the talent Ohio State had last year and because they leaned so heavily on a second round running back, he wasn't really unleashed the way that he would have been unleashed this season. So there's a lot still that of positivity there that needs to be shown from Justin Fields. I think the ceiling is so much higher with a floor in a basement level that's already pretty high. And his comparisons are probably Deshaun, um, Deshaun or maybe even Cam Newton. I know that's been thrown out there as well. Those are pretty, pretty good comparisons to have. A guy who's been an MVP in this league and one of the best young quarterbacks in the NFL. And I think Russell Wilson's been a comparison for some people yeah. too. And he's so. a bigger Russell Wilson yep. at that. 6'3", 228 is what Justin is listed at on the Ohio State roster. Nathan, they, they, they said, hey, Steven had a lot of good stuff to say, but now they're calling Nathan. Hey, man. Nathan, help us out. Give us your one-minute draft evaluation of Justin Fields. I mean, in the guy that I think you and I had talked about that we thought was a, a pretty fun comp for him, too, is Aaron Rodgers, just in terms of, like, kind of yep. body size and the way he plays. And to me, the, the, the phrase I've used before to describe Justin Fields, I think I used it in a headline last year, was explosive efficiency. I mean, you've got you, – again, you have that ceiling of what he can do as an athletic talent, but there's – he's refined as a quarterback. I mean, he can go out and 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 – capably um, give you that kind of explosiveness without you having to factor in too much of the, um, the dread of what, what it comes along with that you sometimes get with, with these younger quarterbacks. I think he, he, he just played a very mature game last season. I know he was playing with a lot of talent. I know he was playing with the added confidence and, and assistance of a, a phenomenal defense, which I think helps, but the, you know, what what he was able to do last year, the numbers he was able to put up, the production he had, and but just almost the way he did it, the poise that he showed, I thought, last season, even playing through an injury at the end of the year. I mean, those things, I think, all tell me that he's still someone with – that it's, there's more for him to grow into because we haven't seen, I don't think, his best football. And I'm not sure that's the case of some of these other guys. I think some of these other guys um, – you know, it's going to be interesting with, between him and Lawrence and I guess now with um, – with, with Lance in the mix, but like, I think there's people out there and as Steven's talked about this before, I think you and Doug, you mentioned it earlier on this podcast, like people fall in love with guys. There might be people who've been waiting three years to draft Trevor Lawrence and that's just who they're locked in. Well, actually they probably hope they don't. Cause that means they're, they, they're going to suck this year and they're going to draft number one overall. But like, there might be people who are just so locked in on that. And I think there somebody may, I mean, that 
maybe the Aaron Rodgers comp will really come in. I don't know if he'll fall that far, but there's a lot of teams that look back on that draft and think, oh, my God, how stupid were we to let Aaron Rodgers fall all the way to, I think it was 20 or somewhere in the 20s. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if Fields would fall that far, but I think there's somebody who may be sitting back saying, man, I hope some people are really stupid between one and six and we, we get a pretty special guy later than we thought was possible. So the one thing is, again, a lot of the draft stuff, I don't, I, <clears throat> that's an interesting point you brought up. I, I think enough has changed in the NFL. I think guys, would, somebody would go get him. Somebody would trade I up to right. go get him when you start watching a quarterback like that fall. Then I don't think if Aaron Rodgers was in a draft, I don't think he would land in Green Bay's lap like he did then. It's going to be even like, even like you said, Mahomes and, and Watson 10-12. I mean, that's still pretty late considering what those guys do now. <laughs> they had questions yeah, about he, him, though. They had questions. People weren't sure that that yeah. – and that's another part of it. There's a lot of things – And well, Stephen, go ahead what you were going to say because I think things have changed. What were you going to say? I think, one, that was a pretty deep quarterback class at the moment. But also, I think – the one negative for Justin is when you compare it to Trevor Lawrence, because that's who he's going to get linked with for the rest of his life. Okay. Trevor Lawrence got picked apart last year by everybody. He was so high, and now it's time to start picking it apart. But now Trevor gets to come back for a third year as a starter and, you know, kind of build some momentum back to, you know, why he's going to be the number one pick in the draft. Well, Justin doesn't have that opportunity. He got the year of, oh, my God, this guy's really, really good. And so now if they do play, whenever they do start, if he's a part of this team, they're going to pick him apart because this is it. This is going to be his last go around with Ohio state. And so they spent the year building him up. So now we're going to, everyone's going to be looking for what's wrong with him, just like they did with Trevor Lawrence last season. I do think what happened to Mahomes and Deshaun Watson and then Lamar Jackson the next year is the league still at that point. And it wasn't that long ago, but they didn't know what to do with some of these college guys. It's like, well, yeah, but you were great in college, but Mahomes put up crazy numbers in college, but, you know, in a run and shoot like that, or Lamar Jackson was a one man wrecking crew at Louisville, but, or Deshaun won at the high, you know, freaking beat Bama man for the national title. But, and I think the butts have been removed. Buckeye talk. The butts have been removed that the NFL teams don't think that anymore. They've realized that they've either adopted so much of the college game, or they just realize, you know what? Like it's, it's similar enough. Guys are going to get it. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that people were having like super long discussions about like, oh, the guy's been in the shotgun his whole career. Can he take a snap under center? It's like, does anybody take a snap under center at any level of football anymore? So a lot of the dumb stuff is gone. And I don't think Lamar Jackson and Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes would fall as far as they did if they were drafted now. That helps Justin, right? Justin is not in the initial wave of some of this stuff. He's kind of like in maybe not even wave two, more like wave three of people like if they're good in college and they can run the offense, then pick them. Like it's fine. They'll figure it out. And so I don't think Justin will fall. And we talked about this. I think we did on a podcast, maybe in around the draft last year. It's like, well, who's going to need a quarterback, right? Jacksonville and Carolina probably are two teams that everyone Jacksonville's tanking. Jacksonville just traded like a starting safety to the Browns for a bag of potatoes because they're trying to tank so hard. But I think they're tanking for Trevor. Carolina's going to be in that mix. They have Teddy Bridgewater. I don't know. He's a long-term answer in Carolina. I think Matt Rule, who is friends with Ryan Day, would love to get his hands on Justin Fields. Maybe the Raiders, New City, Derek Carr, probably not the long-term answer. Maybe Detroit. Matthew Stafford's been there forever. He's been a good quarterback, but he's getting kind of old and kind of expensive. But there are some other teams. It's like the Giants and the Jets both might stink, but they just picked quarterbacks high. Are they going to give up on Daniel Jones and Sam Darnold? 
right? The Bengals might stink again this year, but they've got their guy. It'll be interesting. I do think it's possible, depending how the draft order goes, you might see some teams in a race to trade up for Justin Fields. But I do think the points that you guys have made, I think, A, high ceiling still there because he's only been a one-year starter because it hasn't been perfect. He went somewhere. It was kind of jacked up at Georgia. It didn't really work. And then he came here and had one year and got here in January and figured it out and led his team to the playoff. So I think his, his floor is high and his ceiling is high because he, he didn't have bumps. He was poised. He was accurate. He picked up the offense. He read defenses. He was coachable. He did everything you would want, but I think he's only scratched the surface. So I would have, I would just tell a team, I have zero doubt about this guy as a franchise quarterback. I mean, like if you want to, Again, Stephen, to your point, if you want to play that, that's pick the guy apart game, and you want to take a guy from North Carolina, from North Dakota State, because you're picking apart Justin Fields, good luck. Good luck. I'm telling you, this guy has, I think, has it all. I really think he has it all. And I think he might be great. I think, I think there's a lot of guys. I think there's a great young crop of quarterbacks. I'm actually doing a thing on the Browns. 16 of the starting quarterbacks in the NFL are from the last five years so the 16 17 18 19 and 20 draft so the last five years right 16 draft is Wenson Goff 17 draft is uh is uh who's the guy or is like yeah is is Trubisky and Mahomes and Watson then the 18 draft is Baker and Josh Allen and Sam Darnold then the 19 draft is Kyler and those guys and the 20 draft is Joe is Joe Burrow 16 of the 32 starting quarterbacks are from the last five years. So there's a lot of teams who are already invested and not super far into the investment of these young quarterbacks who just might not be in the market for Justin Fields. But then there's a lot of these. I mean, what if the Patriots stink? And Cam's only there for a year. What if the Patriots stink? What if Bill Belichick's tanking for Justin Fields, man? Like, I mean, could that be how, how, what a spot. And then that way, Justin Fields could go there, play for Bill Belichick for like four years, and then play for Ryan Day in New England for the rest mm-hmm. of his career. And I, now everybody listening to this like drove their car into a pole because that's just <laughs> what they want to hear. I love when like when when like Nathan sent out a text on Monday that was like, you know, Panay Sewell just opted out. If there wasn't a pandemic, he'd be getting ready to play Ohio State. And people were like, thank you for reminding me of the thing that I already know <laughs> that is a gnawing hole in my soul every minute of every day but thanks for the reminder so that's a guy Panay Sewell he's gonna be a top five pick too so anyway I believe in Justin Fields I think he's a franchise quarterback I think he'll do top five and I do not have some of the same questions that Matt Miller has but you know it's fun to take shots at draft guys who do this like full time for their whole job and watch like I literally a million times more film than we do I just find it interesting because I just don't sometimes I see the same things so but I don't see I don't think any of us see this stuff that he's talking about with accuracy or arm strength or anything like that. So, all right, that's our uh, draft preview for a season that doesn't exist for a draft that is. It's like a preview of a draft preview of a draft preview. We'll just run this back in April and do a best of Buckeye talk. That's what we're getting to when we need a break. We'll just do best of Buckeye talks. All right. We're going to do tiers, I think, for the Wednesday pod, unless there's news, and then we'll adjust. But I think we're going to do – I did my list. of I did seven tiers in college football that I divided everybody up into, and I placed all 65 power conference teams in one of the seven tiers. 
And then I want to talk about that, but I mostly want to talk about where the Big Ten teams fit into the tiers and what that tells us about the state of the Big Ten right now. So that is the plan for Wednesday, unless we have to react to something that's going on. Try the text 614-350-3315. Drop a review at Apple Podcasts. We appreciate those. Read cleveland.com slash OSU. And subscribe. Make sure you're subscribing to Buckeye Talk and you get this in your feed all the time. I may have some news about a, an additional podcast um, for football stuff. Maybe next time we talk. Um, so I'll let you know about that. But for now, for Stephen and Nathan, I'm Doug. And that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.